For this episode of Kusa's Corner, I'm joined by Andrew Wiley. Hello. Good, good friend of mine. We've been friends since grade five, yeah. since I moved to Canada. So I've known this guy for a while. And recently you got into stand-up comedy. Yeah. What made you interested in comedy? Um, you know, I watched, like, when I was young, my mom would always buy me, like, the VHSs of, like, Just for Laughs. And I would just, like, go down to the basement and watch it constantly. And, like, it's weird, like, all the comics that I, like, it's crazy. All the comics that are, like, really popular now, I saw them, like, before they were even famous. And I saw them on the, like, Just for Laughs VHS. And there was, like... At, like all the all the comedians that like made me laugh the most are now famous and That's it's awesome. just like crazy to see that, that like all the comics that like do well on the, or like you can tell very early on how good a comic is for sure for sure and so talking about some of those comics like who are some of the comedians that you look up to that um, you really enjoy i think probably bill burr like is Bill Burr, like, have you ever seen The Prestige? I've not. Okay, so there's a scene in The Prestige. It's a movie about two magicians battling it out. And there's this one magician that they talk about where his whole life is this act that he does so he can pull off this one trick. It's like he, he fakes a limp his whole life so he can pull off this one trick where he hides something up, like in his pant leg. So everybody thinks, oh, he just has a limp normally like he does on stage. Yeah. So he fakes that his whole life. I think Bill Burr is like the equivalent of that, where like his whole life is just like comedy. Like he's like one of the best improvisers because he is the character mm -hmm. of like. The, he, he, he's done a lot of cool stuff as well. He yeah. has like F is for Family is one of his things. Yeah. Uh, on Netflix, he's also uh, he has one of the most famous podcasts. Yeah, he has like yeah. And he was actually really early on. In the Netflix, yeah. uh, like expansion, kind of. Mm -hmm. And how do you think that has affected comedy? The Netflix, like, definitely. Because um... I feel like it reaches to, out to a lot of people that, like, for example, to watch stand up comedy before, mm -hmm. you'd only be watching the Comedy Channel, yeah, or getting those like VHS, uh, just for laughs. just for laughs, uh, things. Yeah. But now, from like. The average person, they can just go to Netflix and watch tons of stand-up comedy. Yeah. I think, like, it's crazy. I don't know if you know Daniel Sloss. He's one of my, also one of my favorite comedians. But I knew him, or, like, I was watching him before he got, he recently got two stand-up specials on Netflix. And I was, like, following him on Instagram before he got those. He had, like, 7,000 followers, and he was, like, a really, really good comedian. And, like... Not a lot of people were paying attention to him, but once he got those two stand-up specials, like, his following went way up. He has somewhere around, like, 100,000 followers <laughs> right now. So, it's definitely, like, def like, Netflix is definitely the place to be if, like, if you get on Netflix, like, you're set. It also, like, but there's not a lot of other places now because Netflix is kind of like wiping out cable TV. True. Like there's not, there's not like holiday specials yeah, that they show on CBC or whatever. And it's like, always, and it's also like a special. It's not like a lot of stand up comedy shows are not just one person. They're like a bunch of people and like mm -hmm. they have a host and they bring on 
And that's kind of like what Just for Last is, is like, sure, there was some shit comedians, but like the ones that or like, I guess that's how people got on is that like, there were some shit comedians and then the good one that like you saw that was good. You're like, oh, I'm going to go look him up after. Yeah, this guy stands out. Yeah. And Just for Laughs is huge for comedy, especially in Canada. Like, it yeah. seems like almost everyone goes through Just for Laughs. Yeah. Oh, no. Which is didn't. pretty cool. Yeah. And it's based it's based out of Montreal, right? Yeah, it is. It's like, yeah, it's, I think, the biggest stand-up festival in North America. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it is. That's yeah. what I've heard. Yeah, it's definitely huge. For your first set, how did that go? And, like, how did it make you feel and, like, all that stuff? Like, what... Just, could you explain like, what your first set was like? So, my first set was a story I told. I've told you the Justin Trudeau story, right? I don't think so. Okay, so... Wow, wanna... the listeners are getting lucky here. Maybe they're getting a bit of Andrew's stand-up yeah, here. do you want to... Okay, so... I met Justin Trudeau at um, the closing ceremonies of the, uh, the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, which is this... It's, like, a commission based around residential schools, and, like, it's all about, like, all the terrible stuff that happened in residential schools, and, like, uh, just about, like, yeah, truth and reconciliation after the terrible events of residential schools. So, the idea of the ceremony was to get, like, a current high school student gets paired with a residential school survivor, and they, like, walk down this, they escort them down this long stone pathway, so I was super nervous to meet my residential school survivor. So I went to shake their hand, and halfway through, it turned into a fist. And I was, like, trying to fist bump them. And I didn't know what was going to happen. Like, Those are some awkward interactions yeah, when that happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And also, I'm, like, ultra, like, I'm, like, neon white. So, like, I don't support gang violence, you know? Like, this doesn't look good on me, the <laughs> fist bump hole look. So I was doing that. And then halfway through, I'm like, how do I, like, fix this? Or, like, halfway through, my fist hasn't touched their hand yet. Yeah. And I'm like, how do I fix this? So I go for, like, a shoulder hit, and I'm like, hey, buddy. But when I get nervous, my voice drops, and I just, like, full-on punch them in the shoulder and was like, hey, buddy. So (laughs) it looked like I was like, they're like, did I go to high school with this kid or something? But so that didn't go well. And then the next part of the ceremony is he, they escort you down this long stone pathway and on the side of the pathway is a bunch of grass and they give you this stick that has uh, like a piece of native artwork drawn by a kindergartner. Now, I happened to get the one kindergartner who was an asshole because he draw a penis. <laughs> no way. Yeah. Seriously? I won't, I won't go into too they much. They allowed it? Yeah. I won't go oh into my God. too much detail, but... Uh, he was, it was a totem pole with two bear faces, let's say that. So, <laughs> also I had the stick in my hand when I was meeting the residential school survivor because they gave it to me first, and the residential school survivor was like, oh, did you draw that? And I was like, no. <laughs> <laughs> so, they escort you down this long stone pathway, you are supposed to stick the stick in the ground with your residential school survivor, and then you turn to take a photo. So, what happened was... The grass beside the longstone pathway was very heavily watered down, so you could like stick the stick in very easily. So what happened was we stuck the stick in, we turned to take a photo, her heel sinks into the grass and she falls backwards, and that's when the photographer takes the photo. So somewhere out there 
is a photo of me planting a penis on unseated Algonquin territory as a residential school survivor falls in the background in contorted terror. <laughs> so the ceremony's not going up to <laughs> up to plan. So I help her up. Everybody's like, "Oh, did you trip her?" I'm like, "No." <laughs> <laughs> so we, I help her up, and this is the part of the ceremony where like. Nobody really knows what to do. Like, they told us about getting escorted down this long stone pathway and planting the stick, but nothing else. So I kind of look at the teacher I'm there with, like, what do I, like, I don't know what to do now. And she gets the complete wrong end of what I'm trying to say with my eyes. And she comes over to me and points at my residential school survivor and is like, oh, is this your mother? And I, without thinking about the double meaning of the word I said no this is my escort <laughs> so and then from behind me I hear this is just going more and more oh, downhill it's just eh? going more and more downhill the snowball effect yeah and then from behind me I hear don't say it like that and I turn around and look into the beautiful fucking blue eyes of Justin motherfucking Trudeau <laughs> and I say Trudeau it's so nice to meet you and halfway through to shake his hand my hand turns into a fist again yeah so yeah so that was your first set pretty that much was my like first set. it went like the crowd took it well yeah quite well and it's definitely like it's a huge adrenaline rush it's not so much now but like yeah it's your first time like yeah. i remember the first time doing this i was super nervous yeah. and like i'm just speaking especially into it because i got like like i knew it was gonna go well i didn't expect it to go as well as it went yeah yeah for me like I'm speaking into a phone yeah. right now. And like the first time I did it, I was super nervous. I can't imagine a crowd of people yeah. in a comedy club that are paying for you to make them laugh. Yeah. Was this in Halifax that you did your first yeah. one? Yeah. It was also like, um, I also did, like before that, I was doing a bunch of open mics at my school. My school is very liberal. And like, I wasn't sure how it was going to go down either. But like, yeah. It's definitely hard to do shows that, like, like that's why I like comedy clubs is because, like, I don't know, the people you get in comedy clubs are, like... And they're there ready to laugh. Yeah, they're there to laugh. The liberal <laughs> the liberal university, not so much. Like, I did, uh... Like, even, like, I had, like... I find people overstretch, like, um... Like, there was a bit I had where I was talking about how, like, white people are really into creepy crime... Like, that's our, like, wheelhouse. Yeah. And, like, I don't get why white people are scared of minorities because we're more terrifying. Because, like, there's, uh, like, um, like, have you ever watched To Catch a Predator when Chris Hansen has to hide his disappointment every time a person who's his, who could be his <laughs> biological brother walks through that fucking door with, like, a case of, like, Bud Light, some condoms, and a can-do attitude? And, like, <laughs> so... I did that bit, and, like, the whole attitude of, like, the crowd was, like, well, are you saying black people can't be serial killers? And I was, like, oh, God. Like, I don't know. It's just, like, weird. You I have to play with the audience. Yeah. Right? Yeah. But I feel like, yeah, you have to definitely tailor your material. But, like, yeah, I don't know. It was just, like, kind of, because the whole idea of that bit is that, like, no, we're the terrified Yes. Yeah. And, like... Yeah. The way that they took it just was not how yeah. you expected. Yeah. Would you say that's the toughest part of stand-up comedy is trying to get a feel for the room? 
Yeah, definitely. Is there anything that's tougher? Like, you can have you can have great material and it will not like like depending on the room doesn't really matter how great your material is. Like I saw there was this dude who I've been sta- doing stand up with and like or like he goes on and he like at, at a regular comedy club he doesn't do that well. But there's we went to like some place my this other producer or whatever invited me and got me a gig at like this place that was like a high bar or something like a high weed lounge or something oh, weed. oh that's cool yeah and man that must be really good for the giggles yeah yeah <laughs> yeah so this guy or this guy goes up he does all his material that he does at the comedy club but it, he like kills and i realized oh he wrote all this material when he was high yeah and that's what makes it funny <laughs> or like yeah so it's definitely like the context of for when you're uh getting ready for a show like how do you practice um i usually like write stuff down in my phone i have like i don't know why but i've always had like a very vivid visual imagination and i can like see all the beats i need to hit mm-hmm. like like i'll write i'll write the material down in my phone but like I know the timing and, like, how I want to say something. Yeah. Sometimes it changes on stage and, like, I have to adapt to that. Like, no no show is the same as it is in my mind. But, yeah. Sometimes it definitely adapts. Yeah. Like, you never really trained, like... Yeah. So you're kind of going as you do it, which is, like, pretty interesting. There's no real, real way to practice other than doing it. So you don't, like, ever just, like, practice in your room or, like, in front of a mirror or any no. of that stuff? Yeah. Because it's just, also, like... You, you want know, it to be natural. Yeah, and even if I were to do that, it would still change. Like, yeah. it's it wouldn't be the same. Like, there's... It's a... Or, like, the factor that makes it different from what it is in my head is the audience. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah. If I'm just performing it to myself in a mirror, it's still going to be, like, kind of the same as what I want it to be in my head, but it's not going to... Yeah. Like, on the night of, it's going to change, yeah. You've had a past in improv. How do you think that's affected your Mm stand-up comedy? Well, it's definitely good for, like... Like, sometimes I'll go up with material that I know is good, and sometimes I'll find, like, little... Like, very little moments that, like, weren't there before just by being on stage and being in front of an audience where it just comes out. And, like, I definitely think that's helpful in that. Also, like, sometimes, like, a lot of comedians, the way they write material is they go up on stage and they have no fucking idea what they're going to talk about. Mm -hmm. And they just kind of riff and talk to the audience. And sometimes they get, like, a good story and they're like, oh, I'll write that, that, that down later and create that into a bit or something. So, like, I don't do that, but I can definitely see how that might, or, like, that's going to be helpful when I'm, like, trying to think of material. Mm-hmm. And, like, yeah, improv is, it's, like, improv is a very, very hard thing to do. It's, like, I would say improv is probably a lot more terrifying than comedy because it's just, like, you have no idea. What they're going to throw at you. Yeah. And it's always, always different. And, like... Would you say most com- comedians have a background in improv at some point in their career? Yeah, probably. Like, 
I would say so. Because when I was down in Boston, I went to an improv show, and some of these guys and girls mm-hmm. doing it, I'm like, man, they could really have a future. Yeah. In stand-up comedy, they these guys are hilarious. Like, like I definitely think, like, even like I was, perform or like, I wanted to be a stand-up comedian from like a very young age, and like I knew that that's what I wanted to do, and then. So then in, like, grade 10, I found the improv team. And, like, I think... You guys had a really good improv team as well. The high school we went to, like, it seemed like you guys were at nationals every year. There, like, there was a year in grade 11 that our team was, like, insanely stacked. Like, we had just... One of the things, uh, or, like, one of the things that kind of screwed us at the last, or, like, the grade 12 improv was... In grade 11, we had this great improviser named Yam, and she was, like, really, really good. And she was, like, this, like, like the main female figure. And what happened was when she left, like, it was just me, Nick, and Eamon. So it was very male-dominated. Yeah, it's three guys, and, yeah, we just kind of lost. And you can see how having only guys in an improv team could greatly changed the yeah, atmosphere of yeah. the team it's also like there were other girls though but if it's yeah, like dominated yeah. by males if it's dominated by guys it's not gonna go well but <laughs> there's a yeah i think improv is much more like team element so mm-hmm. like that's what, kind of what i'm trying to say is like yeah in stand-up it's just you like if you fail it's just you if you succeed that's all you mm-hmm. but like in improv like you can make, like, a minor fuck-up, and that can, like, even change into, like, a great scene. For sure. Yeah. And, uh, you've done some work with This Hour Has 22 Minutes. Mm-hmm. Uh, what was that like? It was really crazy. And how did you also get on to, like, so, get in contact yeah. with them? So, I did journalism in my first year, and my journalism prof, uh, I was writing, like, my main piece. And my journalism prof was, or like I was saying, like I want to do something in comedy, and my journalism prof wrote um, a book on this era's twenty-two minutes. So she had like every contact information of all the this era's twenty-two minutes people, and I was like, oh, like awesome, can I go interview them? So she's like, yeah. So I go and interview them the first year, and it goes like really well. And they say like, come back whenever, or like whenever you want. So I emailed them some sketches this year and they said, oh yeah, you can like come and write for us for, or like come in and sit on the writer's room for a day. So that was really awesome. I think one of the things I realized about it is like, it's like basically an office job, like writing stand up or like writing sketches. Yeah. It's like everybody has their own cubicle or whatever. And everybody's like, yeah, it's just like you come in at eight. And, like, it's definitely, like, I could see how it could be very stressful, too. Because, like, if you want to, like, have a job, you have to be, like, produce, producing good producing stuff. good stuff and on, like, a consistent and regular basis. So, yeah. But, yeah, it was definitely very, very awesome, yeah. What were some of the sketches that you wrote for them? I wrote... Like, what were they based on? So, I wrote a sketch um, on the Ontario sex ed curriculum, which was... Like, the sex ed curriculum has basically removed all LGBTQ uh, material. So, like, they don't teach it at all anymore. 
So I wrote a sketch about a kid coming out to his parents as gay, but since he's in the Ontario sex ed curriculum, he doesn't know what gay is, so he just ends up coming out to his parents as a bunch of kinks that he has that aren't really gay. Like, he was like, oh, sometimes I turn the leaf blower on myself and put it on full blast. And his parents are like, uh, that's not really yeah. gay. <laughs> so yeah, I wrote that, and then I wrote one. And did these get on air? Yeah, yeah. Did the way that it, uh, that they did it on air, was it pretty much how you visioned it? Yeah. Or were there some changes? There were some changes, but like, also one of the things you have to do is cut down. Like, like I wrote sketches that were like, uh, cause I didn't really know what their writing style was, but like all their sketches are like one minute. Yeah. So I cut down. Like, the original sketches I wrote were probably around, like, five minutes. So I cut them down to, like, very, very minimal. Style was a change, but, yeah, that was about it. How many have you done for them? You said three. Three? And what were the other two? Uh, There was, um, the other one was, like, a Tim Hortons undercover boss Canada thing, where the boss who went undercover got so into the character he was playing that he, like, lost touch with, or, like, he forgot who he was. That's funny. Like, I wrote, like, there was a scene where he was, like, or he was, like, playing, like, this character, Dale, or whatever, and he has a whole backstory on Dale, where he's, like, he grew up in, like, Perth, Ontario, played a bunch of hockey when he was a kid, and then he's, like, oh, he played a bunch of hockey when he was a kid. He probably lost a tooth. And he's like, I have to commit to this role. And he, like, the next scene is him in a bathroom, like, with a pair of pliers, just, like, pulling out his teeth. Oh, my God. <laughs> so, yeah, I wrote that. And then also, like, all the, like, employees are, like, so amazed by his performance. Like, he's so <laughs> undercover that they've lost touch with what reality is. And then, so, like, I created the, like, this guy who really wanted to play the character again. And, like, he wanted to go undercover again. Mm-hmm. And then this guy who, like... Or, like, one of the employees who was saw his performance and was, like, completely, like, fooled Amazing. by oh, it. Okay, yeah. So, and then, like, all the new employees that he... That are coming into, like, his Tim Hortons shop he thinks are Dale again. So he's, like, like pulling off their hair or something. Oh, that's hilarious, actually. And then... So he just thinks every new employee is an undercover yeah, boss. Yeah, yeah. That's funny. And then, so at the end of the sketch, um, like, uh, this this guy who has lost touch with reality and thinks every new person is Dale, he gets a new job at Tim Hortons, and, like, the last sentence is like, and everybody welcome our new, uh, like, uh, employee, Dale, and he turns around and they both make eye contact and the camera does, like, the Spike Lee zoom or whatever. <laughs> but yeah. That's funny. And then the last one I wrote was on the Halifax smoking ban, which is uh, like, so lead was recently legalized in Canada, but then Halifax and Nova Scotia made a, like you can't smoke outside at all, but they made like designated smoking areas that were like, uh, like, there's, like, five of them in the entire province, and, like, one just underneath a bridge and in the middle of a highway or something. That's so weird. So, yeah. 
There's only five designated yeah. areas. Wow. And then see, Montreal's a complete opposite. Yeah, it's like there's only five places in in Montreal that you cannot smoke. Yeah. It's a complete opposite. And then so that happened. Um. What else? Oh yeah, and so like the main idea of that sketch is like, oh, it's great because it forces parents to smoke around their children. <laughs> so like, I had like uh, nicotine patches that were like Caillou. Like, That's funny. And then, like kind of like the band aids to be yeah, like yeah. superheroes on. And then it was like one person's like, oh, I hate how they put like uh, what smoking will do to you on the nicotine patches. Like, no, dude, it's just Caillou. <laughs> <laughs> He's bald from birth. Yeah, <laughs> it's okay. So yeah. That was the other sketch I wrote. Um, for you, you have some shows coming up. Yes. What are, are you looking forward to those? Like, you're obviously looking forward to those. Yeah. But what you have one on Boxing Day, right? Yeah, at 8.30 at Yuck Yucks. So if anybody wants to come. I'm disappointed that yeah. I'm missing it, to be honest. Yeah. But how is the comedy scene in Ottawa compared to Halifax? Well, I don't know. Do I think? haven't done any comedy in, Hal- in uh, Ottawa. But... Like, I'm definitely hoping it's, like, a better scene. I think it will be. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's going to be weird. It's, like, a weird day, boxing day, yeah. to do a stand-up comedy show. But, like, we'll see. I think the scene is probably a lot better because you're in, like, this core. Like, Halifax is so out of the way for, like, a comedian that, like, the only thing there is really this hour is 22 minutes. And like, it's mostly only local yeah. people doing it. Yeah. While here, well, like here, you have like Toronto's pretty close, Montreal is pretty close. Yeah. So like a lot of comedians are touring and they're probably coming through here. I saw a guy this week at uh, Absolute Comedy on Preston. He was from Alabama. Mm-hmm. He was a headliner. Damn. And one of the things that I found interesting about like him especially is that a lot of his jokes were very relatable for the where he was yeah like he was making jokes about how cold ottawa is and obviously like every Mm -hmm. ottawa person like yeah can relate to that and is like yeah like this this sucks this weather sucks and like they also what he did very well was he made comparisons on how what his life is back home in alabama compared to ottawa so like it can kind of gave you an insight on the type of person he was Mm mm-hmm and what formed him, which was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I definitely think that's, like, a huge skill comedians have, because, like, I've seen a lot of... Like, I went to see Danny Boy. He's, uh, like, this Scottish comedian who I used to watch growing up, and he did he filled out, like, the NAC, and he had a bunch of jokes about Ottawa. Mm-hmm. Like, it's crazy how, like, observant comedians are, like, can change... Or, like, you can take something and make something so every day and make it funny do you do I, we were talking about this the other day crowd work yeah so like you interact with the crowd i've done some crowd work it's mainly like if someone says something like i don't like pick people out of the crowd but like if someone says something i'll like riff on it kind of yeah like the like if it kind of goes in with your material you yeah. use it like there was so, for example, the whole, like, white, uh, or, like, white people are creepy crime. I have a story about, like, so I was watching this film called The Killing of a Sacred Deer, and it's this really weird, weird film. It has Nicole Kidman and Colin Farrell, and they play husband and wife. So, 
Nicole Kidman is getting ready for bed in this one scene. And she says to Colin Farrell, general anesthetic? And he says yes. And then she lies down on the bed pretending to be dead. And Jeez. Colin Farrell starts to rub his penis and, like, gets hard. And then proceeds to fuck her while she's pretending to be dead. That's messed up. Yeah. <laughs> so, so one guy in the crowd, while I'm telling the story, goes, Yeah! <laughs> like, as soon as, like... I get to the part where he's like, oh yeah, and by the way, Colin Farrell in this movie is a necrophiliac. So I was like, oh, like, there's a white person here tonight. How beautiful. And like, <laughs> yeah. So I do like stuff like that. But, it, like, it doesn't take up most of my set. Yeah. yeah. Um, what are some of your goals coming up for this year? And even in comedy, mm -hmm. to end off this episode of Coos's Corner. Let's see, I definitely want to do like. So I'm thinking of moving to Toronto to get like a better comedy scene. I definitely want to get more time at like the clubs and also like the. I think I have the material writing down. I think the thing I need is just more stage time. Yeah, more can, practice. Yeah, where right? I can practice because it's still like. No, like, I have all the material, but sometimes, like, the material, I'll, like, change it midway through set where I don't want to, like, mess with it as mm -hmm. much. So I want it to, like, be what it is in my head, but just on stage. And I feel like I'm not there yet. But, yeah. And I want to, like, go to Toronto. And, yeah, because yeah. Halifax is not a great comedy scene. Or even, like just around, like, Montreal, Ottawa, someplace like there. And then, also, I feel like, um, like, a thing I notice with myself, definitely, and, like, other young comedians is, like, um, it's, like, a need. You get scared when they're not laughing, even when you're, like, not, even, like, when it's, like, a part of your bit where they're not supposed to be laughing. Yeah. It's still, like, the silence is deafening, and, like, it's just, like, weird to see. And I think that's, like, bad for comedy because, like, I think comedy comedy can't stand on itself. Like, it's not, um, like, it's not an entertainment medium that's just going to entertain you. It has to be, like, comedy has to serve some other purpose. Like, it has to... There has to, like, all your favorite comedians are, like, all the good comedians that are out there today. They don't just make people laugh. They make people think. They make, like, good points that, like, people mm -hmm. go home with and, like, oh, that was, like, an interesting point. They tell stories or, yeah, like, they have, like, emotional stuff to their comedy. And I think even, like, with comedy movies, like, that's kind of where they're falling into is, like, a lot of comedy movies or, like, Judd Apatow movies are, like, strictly, like, improv. Or, like, it's, like, improv and they just cut the best... Or, like, they cut together the best stuff. So, that's, like, the whole movie. But, like, when you do that, it doesn't really serve any other purpose other than just making the audience laugh. Mm -hmm. And, like, that's kind of where their narrative or, like, their emotional beats aren't hit. So... You want to make comedy a platform to share ideas more than yeah. just laughs. Yeah. Which is, yeah, if you do think about all the big comedians who write, they yeah. 
they like, do that and they can they have a huge influence on culture as well mm-hmm. with some of the things that they say yeah and like even because they can really like make you realize how ridiculous some of your like opinions are yeah like there is i've never thought about like i'm strictly like anti-gun i don't think anybody should have a gun but bill burr has a great bit where he literally like almost convinces me maybe i should get a gun yeah like it's and like it's not even i would probably never get a gun (laughs) but like it's just like yeah it's just an interesting if you can make someone think a different way or like tell a story like even like older comedian or like in the 50s and 60s it was like set up punchline set up punchline set up punchline so like that was like strictly comedy but those people don't really last all that Mm -hmm. long so i think yeah comedy needs something else to sustain itself it's a good point so uh andrew you're gonna be doing a set on boxing day at yuck yucks in ottawa so if you have nothing new on boxing day get some uh, entertainment from andrew here uh thanks for coming on kusa's corner appreciate it and uh, it was fun to hear what you had to say about your experiences in comedy and where you'd like comedy to go. Mm-hmm. So that's been an episode of Coos's Corner. Hope you enjoyed it.